And I don't know what will. Hello, church. How are you? Well, you look like you've been treated well. Brother Don been nice to you? I'll get him when he gets back if he's not. Well, if you haven't heard, we're getting ready for camp. That starts tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. And we have a lot of time and a lot of energy uh, put into that camp and making sure that we get the gospel in front of as many kids as we can. Um, I prepared for about 300 students uh, to be there, so it's going to be a great camp. Uh, looking forward to having a bunch of your church down there, and I hope you come and worship with us one night. We'd love to see you, and, and we just have a great time with these kids, and it's an awesome opportunity. You can't imagine how great kids are when you, just, when you get them away from the junk of the world. If you get them away from their phones and away from their Playstations and Xboxes, and if you can just let them be kids, and you get them in the Word, and they begin to worship together, there's nothing more beautiful than a bunch of kids singing praises to God. And we have uh, such a phenomenal program. Uh, David Skinner is going to be our camp pastor. He was my first choice. Um, and we got him this year. Uh, Kindred will be back doing music. And that's a song that uh, they, they do in the worship uh, as they lead. And so I'm real excited about that. So I can't wait to, to share this word with you. And I want to say happy Father's Day to the fathers. And I uh, got to celebrate that yesterday with my son, and it was a real joy in my life. So if you have a Bible, would you be so kind as to open it to Ezekiel chapter 22? We're going to look at a single verse there, and I'll be sharing some other verses with you during the course of the message. But Ezekiel 22, let me give you a little bit of update on what's going on um, I wish I could tell you it's all happy news, but the problem was that, that God's about to bring his judgment down on Jerusalem. He'd already brought it down on Judah, uh, the, the nation, and now he's circling the city of Jerusalem, and it's about to be destroyed. He's using Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonian king, uh, to do that, that judgment. And it wasn't without warning. I mean, Jerusalem had a lot of time to repent and to turn from their ways, but... You know, the reality was that there's a, there's a point where you just cross, you know, over one too many times. There's, there's that tipping point. There's that straw that breaks the camel's back. And the corruption of Jerusalem had come up before the Lord and the judgment of that city was just inevitable. And, and for lots of reasons. And let me, let me just share some of those specific sins that God was so annoyed with and the prophets had announced to the people uh, in order that they would repent, though they never did. Those sins included idolatry, the abuse of power, the lack of respect for parents, the neglect of widows and orphans, the desecration of the Sabbath day, incest, bribery, usury, the perversion of justice, the oppression of the poor and the helpless, violence, shedding of innocent blood, just to name a few. By the way, shedding of innocent blood is mentioned in this chapter, verses 3, 4, 6, 9, 12, 13, and 27. So over and over again, the shedding of innocent blood was a sin that, that God was bringing up to the people. By the way, all those sins that I just listed sound like the sins that we see in our culture, doesn't it? 
Now, why would God bring judgment down on the city of Jerusalem and not bring it down on us? Let me just tell you, I'm not saying we're above judgment. It's coming. Judgment. God's wrath is going to be poured out. You say, boy, where's he going with this? This is supposed to be a Father's Day message. Well, hang on. I promise you've got to tell the bad news before you get to the good news, okay? But Jerusalem's in trouble. And it got even worse because even the priests themselves fell into the same corruption. They failed in instructing uh, the people in the law. And they made no distinction whatsoever between that which is holy and that which is profane. Once again, it sounds just like our world. When you can't tell you know, who the preacher is by the way that he acts. Uh, I, I was watching the Southern Baptist Convention last week online. I didn't go in person. And maybe you saw it too. And one of the big deals that came up, controversy if you will, was, was over some of the behavior of one of our largest churches. Excuse me, our largest churches. Um, the, the church out in Saddleback is now ordaining women, and they've just brought in a pastor whose wife likes to preach, and they like to drink beer. In fact, at their former church where they came from, they had a the, kind of a Baptist beer joint that their church sponsored. And I, I scratch my head thinking, whatever happened to holiness? Whatever happened to come out from among them and be different? What is it about setting a standard that's different than the base things that you see in this world. I, I tell you, we have problems because today, as then, the, there are false prophets who are out there proclaiming all kinds of idiocy and ridiculous doctrines. They proclaim lies in the name of the Lord. And, and so God says something through the prophet Ezekiel, and it's, it's in verse 30 of chapter 22. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found, say it, no one. Let's try that again, shall we? I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it but I found no one uh, some of us remember a Marine Corps uh, recruiting slogan that was uh, made into a television commercial and we all saw it a hundred thousand times the the Marines are looking for a few good men y'all remember that recruiting commercial now let me make you feel old. You know when it came out? 1985. Mercy. Some of you kids are going, I've never heard, I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, the Marines at that time were trying to recruit young men to go into their branch of the military. They just did not have enough good qualified men to, to fill their ranks. And today, God is looking for a few good men who will stand in the gap. Because their, their country was dying their city was about to be destroyed, and their religion was worthless before the eyes of a holy God. And God says, and I look for someone who would stand up, who would step into the gap, and he would be vocal, and he would take a stand and do what is right. And behold, I found no one. I pray that is not true today in this church, in this association. In this state, in our, in our nation, I pray somebody finally 
steps into the gap. Father, I pray that as I share this message, that, Lord, your power will be the the thing behind it that makes it all work. It's not by my words. It's not by any persuasive ability that I have that anything happens. It's not by might, and it's not by power. It's by your Spirit, says the Lord. So, Lord, would you move and power through your Spirit in this place and touch each heart? Will you convict us about sins that are found in our own eyes and in our own homes? So that, Lord, one by one, our our families and homes might be restored unto you. So that our city and and our state and our nation might be saved from the the judgment that is to come. And, oh, if you look into this church, is there one here who stands in the gap? And as you look at the families represented in this room, is there one in that family who stands in the gap? who is not willing to compromise, who's not willing to bow before the idols of this world, who is not forced to conform to the sins that we see in our generation? Is there one in the family who would stand up and make sure that the household is following the one true God and that the children are taught in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, that the family is basing their decisions and their life's direction upon the truth of your word? Is there that one person, Father, in every home who will stand in that gap? And be that one for you. I pray that that convinces us. And I pray that convicts us. And it draws us, Lord, in obedience to you today. If there is a person here who does not have that relationship with you today, Lord, would you draw them in salvation? Your grace is offered so freely. And and it's so wonderful and so rich and so amazing. I pray somebody will call out for that amazing grace today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you men. And this message is primarily directed toward men. By the way, there aren't enough sermons directed toward men. Did you know that? And if you looked at the worship songs that are being written today, they're not really masculine. They're, they're, you know, even the song I just talked about loving so much, I run to the Father and I fall into grace. That sounds like what a girl does. Can you imagine the guys running after the father and falling into his arms? I mean, really, it's like, hey, can we go fishing? You know, can we just hang out and, you know, shoot some pool? I don't know what we do. with Just man stuff. I think we're, we're losing masculinity in our culture. I think men are afraid to stand up. We have this another controversy going on at the Southern Baptist Convention is whether husband and wife are, are absolute equals or if they complement each other. And I'll let you all have that theological debate in your own church. I pretty much understand how I feel about that based upon the scriptures. But know this, God is looking for men. And he's looking for men to stand in that gap. He's not saying, ladies, go stand in that gap on behalf of your families. He's calling the men out. Is there a a man out there who's going to stand in this gap? And, and by the way, guys, if you have trouble leading, then I'm going to invite your wife right now to just start elbowing you in the ribs every time I make a really good point. Okay? Because maybe you just need a little encouragement to, to stand in that gap. But God is looking for a few good men. And the first thing I want you to think about is God is looking for a few good men who, who lean on the Lord. Who truly lean on the Lord. There's this understanding about religion that uh, goes all the way back to Marx that, you know, religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. 
Well, let me think about it this way. Okay, if you're weak and you're unable to stand and you, you have to have a, a crutch to lean on to, to get around, I understand that. A lot of people walk with canes or with walkers and, and things like that. But I don't really think that's what he's trying to say. I don't think that's what he intends. I, I think the, the idea of leaning on the Lord doesn't mean that you, know, you, you just have no ability. You don't have any thoughts of your own. It, it's not that you're weak. or, But, you know... I do a little bit of hiking, and I have hiking, I have have sticks, walking sticks, hiking sticks. They're telescopic, and you can adjust them so that they're just the right height. And and if you've done much hiking, you know you hold it in different places, whether you're going uphill or you're going downhill. And the cool thing about hiking is if you're stepping down off of like a big rock to a lower level, you can put those sticks down there, and it will help you to take that next step. Or if you're walking in a place where it's a little scary and you, you spread those sticks out a little bit like outriggers, you know, and they give you a lot of stability when you're going down an uneven slope. You're relying upon those walking sticks. You're, you're depending upon them to give your life stability. So don't think of it as you're weak and you have to lean on the Lord. Think about it. The Lord is in your life to be there, that one that gives you stability. I do depend upon the Lord. I am completely dependent upon him. I'm unable to do anything in my own that's good. I've never done anything right in my life the first time. I've not done anything really good. Apart from God, I am nothing. We need men who will admit that to themselves. Not these self-made people who say, I can do it on my own. Because that's the way we think. That's how we are. We like to be independent. And we like to be a little bit stubborn. Don't we, guys? Let me illustrate. You're doing a project that requires you to you know, do your manly skills. And you're mechanicing. You're fixing something around the house. And rather than go next door, knock on your neighbor's house and say, Hey, I need this tool. I know you have it. Can I borrow it? Instead, we'll drive 16 miles to the store that we know has it, and we'll spend $59.99 to buy that tool rather than ask our neighbor next door. Ladies, am I wrong? Because that's how we are. We don't like to depend upon anybody. Learn to lean on the Lord. By the way, we, we know this passage of Scripture uh, from Proverbs chapter 3 and, and verses... Five and six, you know it, don't you? What does it say? And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your paths or make your paths straight. That's a beautiful verse. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to lean on the Lord, first of all, for our salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We need to lean upon the Lord for our strength because our strength will run out. We get tired. There's a limit to what we can do. Have y'all ever said at the end of the day, I'm so tired I can hardly move. I'm going to bed. Anybody ever said that? Why do we say that almost every single day? Because at the end of a day, you're out of strength. And what do you do? You go get in your Serta to recharge that battery, don't you? In fact, I'm old enough now. I'm thinking it's dark. What time is it? Can I go to bed now? Y'all ever have those thoughts? Because I enjoy getting my rest. The crazy thing is, we need to learn to rest in him for our salvation, for our strength, and for our wisdom. You don't know it all, I don't either. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you you look down and it's like, huh, I don't remember reading that before. Y'all ever had that thought? When did they put that in there? 
You ever had that thought before? Did I just miss that? I know we've studied this before. Did I just miss that? This is why we read the Bible all the time. One day I was in my office and I found a book in my library. I thought, man, this is a... can't believe I've never read this book. So I started reading it and boy, it really got good. The more I read it, the more I just just dove into it. I just couldn't put it down. I thought, man, how has this book been in my library all these years? And I've, I've never read it. This is one of the best books I've read. And then I turned the page and there's some notes I wrote. The last time that I read that book, of things that really impressed me. Has that ever happened to you? That's why we need to keep going back to the Lord and stay in his word. Try to read the Bible through every single year. Spend time in it. You look to the word of God for wisdom. For James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Sorry, I memorized it, King James. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded in all his ways. Learn to seek God's wisdom. Lord, I don't know what to do, but you do. Would you show me what I am supposed to do now? Learn to lean on his wisdom. So, God's looking for a man who will learn how to lean. But he's also learning, looking for men who will learn how to lead. We have several pastorless churches in our association, and a good deal of my time and energy is, is spent with those churches, helping them to get on their feet, stabilize, or get geared up for the next pastor, or help them find the next pastor, interview guys, and background check them. I get involved at every stage of, of that. And we have several uh, churches I'm very concerned about right now. Uh, two churches that are pastorless I'm terribly concerned about right now. They consume a lot of my prayer time. And I, I remember as, as I was meeting with the, uh, not, First Clinton is not the two churches, one of the two churches I'm so concerned about, but they are also pastorless. I was meeting with them and, and talking about who their next pastor needs to be. I said, you know, pastors fall in one of two categories. They can either preach or they can't. Y'all agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I had a 50-50 shot, right? I mean, there's guys that, you listen to them, and you can tell they really try, and they really mean what they say, but you would say something like, bless his heart, he really tries. But he's not really the pulpiteer that stirs people's hearts. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so out of ten guys, there's only going to be probably five of those that can really preach. Where you don't fall asleep and where you're not going to be bored and, you, and you're going to have this thought, I'm not sure if I can hang with this. And out of the five that are left, only one of those really knows how to lead. Knows how to take a group of people, a group of people, from point A to point B. He could cast the vision. He could develop the leaders. He could create the strategy. He could tell people why, according to God's word, it's important to do that. And he's the identified leader that they understand is following God. And therefore, they must follow him. Only one out of every ten preachers you could list on a page of notebook paper can lead. Okay, if that is true, you say, well, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Yes, it's sad. By the way, do you know we have more empty pulpits today than we have qualified men who can fill them? 
Say it. Amen back there, preacher. It's getting a little lonely up here. I feel like the stinking Maytag repairman. What is wrong with these people? I'm waiting on somebody to call, you know? Throw me a bone, will you? How many churches are without staff? You're without a youth pastor. We got a half a dozen of our churches that don't have youth pastors right now. We got two full-time church music minister jobs open in our association. They can't even get a name. Can any of y'all sing? I'll take applications right now. The problem is, where are all the people that lead? I, I, I would have empty pulpits, and I was like, who's going to fill the pulpits? And, of course, the churches are leaning on me. I'm thinking, do I call OBU? Okay, call OBU. OBU has nobody to send out here to western Oklahoma. Those little brats, they don't, those rich kids over at OBU, they don't drive all the way to western Oklahoma. I say brats. My, my son graduated from there, and I did too. So we started working with the Swasu boys at the BCM. And Scott Hume gets all the credit for this. He does a great job of developing. He's a great disciple maker. He's, he's working with these boys and saying, can you preach? Would you be willing to do that? Let me show you how to do that. Let me show you how to write a sermon. And then we have nights of preaching, and we let them practice on us. We just let them preach one after another, and we take notes to help them get better. And, and, and then they, he knows the guys that are available. I know the churches that are, need help. And so Scott and I, and Skylar Spradlin also, helps me to... To find a guy to plug that hole with. And it's working. Praise the Lord. We got some preacher boys. One of my, one of my values is to create leaders in the church. Because we don't have enough of them. Would you say amen? amen? Because right now, we have a whole lot of Indians, but not enough chiefs. <laughs> it's ironic since I'm preaching at Arapahoe First Baptist Church. Isn't it the sad truth of that? And I'm not trying to be racist. My wife is an Indian. I wake up every morning and make sure my scalp is still up there. I'm just telling you, people are willing to, lead, to follow but not to lead. Well, change the dial. Change your mind. Men, we don't need more followers. We need more leaders. We need more men who will get out there and say, hey, I'm going to step up because nobody is and I'm willing to. I will fill that gap. God is searching for men who will fall into that gap. There's nothing in this text about qualifications or education. There's not any requirement on age or ability or experience. He's just looking for people who are willing. Don't worry about the ability. He'll give you the ability He'll show you what you're supposed to do. He'll tell you even what you're supposed to say. And if we had some more time, I'd show you all those verses. God is looking for men who will lead. He said, well, what happens if they all start leading? Then send some of them away. Because other churches need men who will lead. Because leaders will get more people under them who will also learn how to lead. Because a good leader leads other people to leadership. That's what we do. That's what a pastor does. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We need more 
leaders, not more followers. We need people who are vocal. We need people who walk in the spirit. We need people who lead their families. And by the way, I know it's hard. Hardest thing you can do is witness to somebody in your family because they know you. The hardest thing to do is witness to a parent or to witness to some family member who you know is in obvious sin. You know, old Eli in the Old Testament. <laughs> By all descriptions in Scripture about him, he was a terrific priest, except that he wasn't a good father with his sons. He let his sons absolutely run amok. Um, and that, that got him into some trouble. By the way, it ended up costing him his life, because when he found out his sons were killed in battle, remember that? He fell off his chair backwards and fell and broke his neck, because he was old and fat. That's what the scripture says. I'm not making this stuff up. David could run a kingdom and he could lead people into battle, but he couldn't train his children. He's the most impressive king of Israel by every estimation. And yet he found one problem, and that is he did not lead his own family. We need to lead our families, and we need to lead the lost to Jesus. How long has it been, men, since you have led someone to faith in Jesus Christ? Was that convicting or what? I mean, I could stop right now and give an invitation. How long has it been since we have led somebody to the Lord? If we're leaders, we're leading people to follow Jesus. Here's my last point, and I'm done. We have to beat the First Baptist Church to the restaurant anyway. We get there early, we get the white meat, and they're stuck with the dark meat. That's how that works. We also need men who know how to love. Who love God supremely. When people look at you, who do you love more than anybody else? Everybody in your family else, he loves God more than he loves anything. More than he loves everybody. Number one place, the number one thing, the only thing in first place The only one in that category is the Lord God. He loves God. It should be the first words out of everybody's mouth about you, men. If they don't see it, if it's not going to be said at your funeral, then it's not very obvious that you love God more than you love anything else. That we need people who know how to love God. We need people, of course, who need to to love their families. It's like, what are you talking about? Everybody loves their families. Really, do they know it? Do they feel it? Um, anyway, there's this guy, and he's talking to his wife after, after she had done something that he didn't approve of, and he said to her, how can, how can you be so beautiful and stupid at the same time? And she said, well, God made me beautiful so you would love me and made me stupid so I'd love you back. <laughs> Do you love your family with your time, with your attention, with your affection? Do you show it? Do you talk about your family? Do you show them what it means to love? Are you the example of that? And, and, and finally this. Do you love your church? That, that's a convicting thing to say too. Because the one thing that I 
have experienced over the last few years. I've been working in church revitalization for a while. Worked with lots of churches and lots of associations and state conventions about revitalization. And uh, I've even written a book on it. So I know a little about it. By the way, it's available on Amazon for $14.90. But here's the point. Today, people are no more loyal to their local church than they are to a restaurant in their town. They have two or three bad experiences, and they're done. Hey, you ever went to one of your favorite restaurants, and it's obvious they had a sub cook today, or somebody didn't show up for work, or, ooh, this is not as normally as good as it usually is, or what is this, yesterday's, and they warmed it back up today? Have y'all ever had that thought about your favorite restaurant, and what do you do? You go back again. Maybe it's not quite up to par then, and what do you do? You give them one more chance. Right? And then if it's terrible on the third time, you say something like this, and I've said it myself. That's the last time I'm eating there. How many of you have ever done something like what I've just described? Raise your hand like you're Pentecostal. That's Bapticostal. That's This is Pentecostal. People are no more loyal to their church today than they are to a restaurant in their town. They have a couple of three bad experiences in their church, and what do they do? Down the road. It's, um, it's also true that we have fallen into one of the traps that is laid by our world that says, newer is better, bigger is better. And that's not true. <laughs> uh, Near where I pastored last, there was a convenience store that had been there my whole life, actually. I don't remember a time in my life that little convenience store was not there. It was on the corner, uh, 29th and Post, if you want to go there. And across the street from that little gas station, a brand new gas station went in, convenience store with, the, with all the pumps and the shiny lights and the covered pavilions, and they had a little, bake, a little deli thing in there. Well, guess what? Even though their gas prices were exactly the same, people went from the old to the new, thinking what? Newer is better. And then something else weird happened. The new one raised their gas up about five cents a gallon from the old store. And guess where people went? Still to the new one. Let me even make it even weirder. The same guy on both stores. <laughs> if you think that newer is better, I think you're missing something. If you think bigger is better, I think you're missing something. And I, if you think that you know, people who make you mad would cause you to leave something you've loved your whole life, you're missing something. Because it's, there's this one thing that we ought to do. We ought to have a love and loyalty to our church. Because there's always somebody trying to pick us off. Hey, you need to come try my church. That's called proselyting. It's sin. It's not even acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. We're not supposed to do that. We need to have a love for God, a love for our family, and a love for our church. 
We ought to be those, those people who say, this is the church that God has called me to, and I'm going to be here as long as God gives me breath. He put me and my family here to get roots and to grow and to produce. This is where God has me and my family. Where's the love that we ought to be seeing for our churches like that? I can take you to churches where that, that philosophy doesn't exist at all. And it certainly doesn't happen with the youngest among us, our teenagers. Something new and shiny over here, there goes all the kids. It's the way it happens. Are they seeing how much we love God? Are they seeing how much we love them? Are they seeing how much they should love the church? See, it's hard to run from people you know love you. Can people tell that they're loved? Have you told them lately that you love them? We ought to do that. God's looking for men who will lead like that. Lead a church to love. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for letting me share my heart. And I I know that this is a good church and a strong church with a wonderful pastor and who does a great job of leading here. But I know we can never have enough leaders. We're always looking for people who will stand in that gap. Lord, I pray it's not us as leaders who have to call men out. Instead, I pray it is you by your spirit who is calling people out. And they may say to themselves, I don't know how to lead. It's exactly what Moses tried to tell you. There are people who said, I don't know how to speak. That's exactly what Jeremiah tried to tell you. For all of our excuses are thinly veiled lies that wrap around the skin of the truth. Help us to realize with you all things are possible. Help us just to be in the middle of your will. And if you're calling us to step out to lead, all we have to do is obey. And to be the man who will stand in that gap. I ask this in Jesus' name. While your heads remain bowed, just a moment of reverence. Please, can I have your attention just for a couple of moments with your heads bowed? What is it you should do in your response to God? What is it that God expects of you? See, the invitation is not for that somebody else who needs to make a decision. I sure hope it is, really. But the decision time is for every single one of us and specifically for the men in this room. What are you going to do about what you just heard?